Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all other people at the table. I'm one of your hosts, Dungeon Master Mitch. And I'm Dungeon Master Chris. And Chris, I'm really excited about this episode today. We are actually presenting a discussion with all of our players uh, basically, this whole entire episode is a story time that gets led into the quote-unquote meat of the discussion, but it's on our last and final night playing in uh, the country of Shemesh and the campaign of the Riders of Shemesh campaign and what happened with the where we ended with all of your characters for that night. So um, if you haven't heard us talk about it before, epilogues in our, what we do is we do a night that finishes off the campaign after the campaign has been finished, kind of like that last part of a book in epilogue. And so it's kind of shows you what happens years later and just finishes off the story completely of the characters. And so we had a really great epilogue night for the Shemesh campaign. And we're going to talk about that and hear our players talk about it tonight. The quality uh, of the audio is a little bit less than it normally would be because we used a one mic for the entire group, but bear with it. We've got some really great discussion and story time uh, coming up. So before we jump into our uh, story time and our meet together, uh, we have some five star reviews from iTunes. And so the first one comes from Lady Nim and it's entitled Love It and Lady Nim writes awesome stuff. I just ran my first night as a DM. That's awesome. Yeah, and it congrats. went swimmingly well. Awesome tips and ideas. After deciding I wanted to try my hand at DMing, which is extra insane because I've never played anything like D&D before. <laughs> that is cool. I stumbled upon this podcast. A week and a dozen episodes later, I started writing my own campaign. That's awesome. That's so cool. It's so cool to hear that, Chris, right? Yeah, it is. She's also using the 5E rules. Uh, she says, my players had a blast and I owe a lot of that to the Dungeon Master's block. This podcast is full of great info for anyone who wants to be a DM. So thank you so much, Lady Nim. Uh, we're really excited to hear that you've started DMing. And uh, yeah, you should totally write it into us and tell us about a little bit more about the campaign and how it's going. Yeah, thanks for that review. And we also have one from DM Icebox. I thought that said Demicebox the first time I read it, but it's <laughs> Demicebox. DM, yeah, Demicebox. DM Icebox. <laughs> uh, and he writes, aspiring DM, learning a lot. This has become a great resource for the self-taught DM. I'm working on improving the game for everyone in my game. Lots of great ideas that are going to get integrated into my homebrew reality. So have fun with those ideas. Uh, Feel free to take whatever ones you want from the creation and inspiration episodes in the past and whatever we yeah. take, whatever we've talked about in the past. Go for it, man. Every time you say it, though, you have to say copyright property of the Dungeon Master's block. So even like while you're playing in game, like you have to break out of character to do that, just so you know. But yeah, we just want and to you have that. to read it really fast, like the legal guys at an end of a commercial, yep. too. Yeah, exactly. Yep. <laughs> just so you guys know. So thank you. D mice box. Appreciate that. <laughs> Our next one comes from scandals or scandless uh because scandalous. scandals i think is yeah scandalous because i think scandals is wrote with a a l but this is l-e-s so scandalous um <laughs> so scandalous uh we'll call him scandalous 
Scanlay says, DMs making better DMs. Five stars. This is a great podcast and a must listen for active or aspiring DMs. Great ideas, sexy content. Can we say sex? I don't know. Yeah, we I say think sexy. we can. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Great ideas, sexy content with hot RP ideas and stories. Just keep your players away and you could make campaigns for years. Don't do that to these guys, though. They deserve attention. Thank you. So send your players here anyway. <laughs> Thanks, DMs, and keep up the good work. Thank you so much, Scanless. <laughs> we appreciate that. So then the last one is from Have App Will Travel. Or had to stop playing D&D several years ago because our dungeon master moved. We had been playing for 10 years plus. Listening to your podcast has made me not only want to play again, but try my hand as the DM. Thanks for giving me such great ideas. Hey, thanks for that uh, review. Have app will travel. Have fun uh, being a DM for yeah. the first time. It's uh, it's intimidating, yeah. but it's very, very rewarding uh, to go in and create a world or even just DM something that's already been made. So have fun. And I know that your players that you've been playing with for years will enjoy it. So have a blast with that. All right. Well, with that, let's head to story time, the meat, all of that, because this episode is pretty much one and the same. Maybe we'll have a different intro for this, you know, like a... Uh, I'll see what I can work up, but okay. So let's go to that right now. Story time. I'm starving. The time during the episode. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Where we talk about what happened last week during our campaigns. Why can't we have some meat? Our favorite moments. Where we learned about ourselves. Just a mouthful. Please join us now as we enjoy Storytime. Hey guys, so I'm really excited about this Shemesh epilogue night coming up in the story. We lost a little bit of audio here at the beginning, only like 40-ish seconds. So just to introduce things, we have, of course, me, uh, the DM of this campaign. We have DM Chris who played Crew Roar, Smilebeard, the Halfling Rogue. We have Paladin Caleb, who played Grouthoof, the Satyr Druid. We have Mark, Magic Mark, who played Rix, the Lapid Archer Fighter. And we have JP, who played Torque, the Fighter Orc. And so if you've been listening to our story times, we left off. They have gotten back from Ivana. They got the guiding light back for the gods. So now souls that are worthy can go to Ivana, my world's heaven. And they were teleported back to the mountaintop, which it all began. So that's where we're going to start off the story time with the recording. Here we go. So we went to the fort because that's where, the, like, right by the mountain there, where we had been before when we first discovered this portal, and we realized that like the first person we met was the first group of people really. They had a dwarf in the group, which was weird because yeah. dwarves weren't like integrated into your world yet at this yeah, point. Yeah, we were kind of the ones that introduced them yeah, to the world. They were just like essentially. And with the guy we talked to, like, I think we asked for the guy we asked uh, for the guy that we knew, Cornelius Storm. Cornelius, yeah, we asked for him. And they're like, yeah, he's here, but... Did you just say Cornelius Stormcloak? No, Stormcrow. Storm uh, Cornelius Crow. Crow, yeah. Oh, Crow, just Crow, okay. Gotcha. <laughs> I was like, you're trying to slip a Skyrim reference in there without anybody noticing? <laughs> yeah, yeah Cornel- General Cornelius Crow, yeah, yeah, that's who you asked to talk to. 
And eventually, I think there was some more kind of some more indicators of exactly what had happened at that point. But eventually, they did they they brought us to Cornelius, and he's just super old. I mean, he was kind of a an older fighter guy at the time. He's like I mean, middle he was, aged, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, but he's like old now, like he's venerable. Yeah, <laughs> and so obviously, you guys like asked like. And he was surprised to see you, and he was confused to see you guys. Because we looked just like we've been looked. I mean, and so you guys found out that it was how long after? 40 years. 40 years, yeah. And so I, I think kind of the mind started going back to the stairs that you guys were on, and like mm. talking about like, how long do you guys feel it's been? Like, oh, I feel like it's been like months. Oh, I feel like it's been years. Oh, I feel like it's been tens of years. And you guys figured out that it, it was tens of years. Like, you guys, those stairs were a good portion of your life. But we should mention that the rings that you had, they disintegrated, and what's weird about it being 40 years later with you guys? We were unchanged. Yeah, like you looked the same, yeah. except for Kruor, who had has a little bit of a beard. <laughs> I think he shaved it off. Or no, I don't know if he shaved it off at this point. Not at this point. At some point yeah. in time, he yeah. did. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you talked with Cornelius Crow. Uh, he didn't really know what to do with you guys. He was just confused by the situation. So what did you guys decide to do? Well, he let us he let us through the gate at least, yeah. and so we just decided to go check on the uh, check on the guild that we had found, or the, not the guild. I'm sorry, the, the Riders of Shemesh. Yes, the Riders of Shemesh, um, which which it was a guild. It's yeah? a guild. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. essentially yeah a so, riding guild. So yeah, we we decided we'd go down to South South Far, South Far and uh, and check that out and see what had gone on with that. And we had some nice panic attacks down there once we got there. Kuroa <laughs> basically hated everybody and cried <laughs> well, okay. on the floor of the inn in a fetal position. Well, you got you got there and you got to the Riders Inn and why why were you crying on the floor of the Riders Inn? Because it was like boarded up and there was yeah. nothing there and I hadn't been here in 40 years. Like Kuroa was just like, <laughs> screw everyone that I helped get a better life. And it was just sad because I, I basically like just everybody out I was like I just want to be alone what did you think happened to your I thought it just completely disintegrated because of terrible leadership that I left it with (laughs) and was that the case no it it wasn't so what was the case what happened it's pretty awesome now it's all over Shemesh but like like how'd you find out what what happened when somebody somebody rode by a group of people rode by on a we were we were headed to somewhere else where we were like well okay we gotta accept the fate of this and then, and then uh, we glanced like out of the corner of our eye. Half the party saw like, wait, those guys are wearing riding jackets. And then they look newer and updated from what yeah. we knew. So we're like, let's go follow them because that says Riders of Shemesh on it. And then that's when we found a couple of them saw us and I was like, oh, look at their jackets, so retro and everything. Yeah, yeah. like your old school style, man. <laughs> yeah, well, 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 I think you joked around about Chris, like my dad had one of those. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> like thinking like old rock and roll T-shirts, like yeah. vintage. <laughs> like, but that's your guys' jackets. It's like someday we're gonna pull the old leather jacket out of a cardboard box. From yeah, in the attic. So there, there was an inn. Yeah, it was much bigger than the one that you had left behind that got boarded up. Yeah, um, riders in still, and you went in, and there were a lot more people. There were a couple dwarves once again. Kruor is going through to his own guilds, like in, and you guys are all part of the guild. And it was weird; they didn't know who we were. Yeah. I was like, I'm Kruor, the old leader. They're like, what? No, the leader is the guy in the white mask. And there was this moment where I was just like, 
uh, a face palm. Well, Dang cause, it! Because <laughs> behind the bar that you saw, you saw this big oil painting and this tall, not a not a halfling size guy, a no, tall rider with a white mask yeah. with a big great axe. Yeah, yeah. So what did you guys do? Like you're you're, you're well, like this is my guild, but we asked we asked the barkeep if he knew like either Jerry, Terry, or Larry, and Yarp and Darp, and they were like, well, Yarp and Darp are dead. They haven't been around for a while. It's like, oh, I like that. That's not that sur- But it wasn't all that surprising. No, it wasn't. <laughs> they, they were not the... They probably did something that got themselves killed. Um, but then he said, uh, what was it? Jerry was the drug addict, I think. Yep, and Jerry. He cleaned himself up. He now has, like, a family and yep. whatever. Uh, he's no longer licking blue toads. And, uh... <laughs> that, sounds, was, that sounds like it's a euphemism for something. Yeah. But that's literally what the joke was. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think Terry was the one that was in charge of this yep. this sector, and Larry was a part of the Westboro section mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh, so we went and talked with Terry, and we asked about, was it Fen? Was that his name? Yeah, the, the Orphan Fen. The orphan. And we found out that Fen is pretty stinking awesome now. He's kind of assumed the position of the White Masked Rider, has this crazy hangout in like this abandoned warehouse somewhere in South Far. I don't remember exactly where it was. It was close to the docks, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, we walked inside and he just like started crying. And yeah. we just had like this touching moment where we all were like, <laughs> yeah, we were just all super happy to see each other. We talked about life and whatnot. And So I think he, he sits you guys down for dinner and wants to hear about your story. And where you guys had told people about your story and your quest before, nobody really believed you guys. And I don't know whether it was, like, that this guy had just built up in his mind, like, that you guys were such heroes because you took him in as an orphan boy and now here he is leading your guild many years later. And he's just amazed at the fact that you guys look the same and, like, he seemed to believe you. And there was this moment, this, like, touching moment that after you shared with him, he got up. Oh, yeah. He kneeled down, he took his mask, and he held it out to you. And he said, you, crew, are your back. Lead us. Yeah. Well, I gave it back to him because I was like, no, no. You're doing a much better job than I'll do. But there was another moment where his kid walked in the room, wasn't yeah. there? Yep. And as name, you were leaving, yeah. Yeah, as we're leaving. And he says, oh, by the way, this is my son, crew. And I was just like, oh, the feels. <laughs> right yeah, the feels, right in the tear ducts. <laughs> That's where it's coming. Like, that was where the feels it. It was this moment of and like, you gave him your. Uh, I gave rapier, him. Right? I gave him my rapier. I had yeah. given another boy, uh, in another part of the world, my brother's rapier. So now both of them are gone, uh, to other people, and I gave Who it to like a four year Handing kids rapiers yeah, yeah. all around the world. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good uh, rapiers for runts. R and R. Riders of Shamash, we're going to start a new thing called R&R, Rapiers for Runs. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Sounds like a bad idea it's to a, me. It's a child soldier program to help them defend themselves. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, the... Oh, this turned dark really quick. Torque already started that in orphanage. Um, I, don't, I don't think anything else really happened. Well, you guys, so you, you basically told uh, Fen, you said... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You told Fen, you've got this. I thought that happened already. Like, you, you lead... Like and Fen was just like he pledged to you. He's like, I will leave this as you have always envisioned as heroes of Shemesh, and so that's where like we saw the riders like ending up as like you've established this and it kept going without you and you were offered it when you returned and you were just like, no, you've got this, Fen, and just this touching moment. And then you found out he had a kid that he named after. Oh, and he gave us a crap ton of gold. Yeah, too, so. and but he said, but he was like, there's no reason that you can't 
uh, enjoy some of the spoils of what your guild has become. And Chris, I think your exact words were, Oh, booty! Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's the funniest thing ever if you hear it. Uh, <laughs> but so you guys got a bunch of gold that you guys were able to invest with your characters, like futures. And so you guys left this place and you walk out and there's two carriages, both of which have the Riders of Shemesh symbols on them. And Fen leads you guys over to one carriage and says, this will take you wherever you want to go in the city. And you guys are like, oh, we'll go back to the Riders Inn. So you're about to get back in and then you guys are like, all right, we'll get in the Riders Inn. Then we'll make our travel plans to go to Argonmore because we want to see Wesley Wonders and talk to him. And as no, we you, don't. <laughs> and as, yeah, as you guys are about to step in, Fen puts his hand on your shoulder, mm-hmm. uh, Rix's shoulder, and what happened? Well, he goes like, "Oh no, this one's for you," and he points to the other, the other carriage, and it takes me to a house that freaking racists. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still second class. <laughs> um, and then we it ends up being the house of my two brothers who ended up living in South Bar, whom, when we left for our adventure, I had no idea if they were dead or alive. So after, for them, almost, what, 30, no, 50 years of not seeing me, I finally was back in their life. Um, And so there was this semi-awkward reunion of, hi, we're related and we love each other, but I haven't spoken to you in five decades. <laughs> Which is like more than a li- general lifetime yeah, for your yeah, race. They were old. <laughs> yeah, super old. We've, I joked around, They see it was almost like <clears throat> some divine intervention that yeah. kept them alive. Yeah, because the, the average lifespan was about 40 years. Yeah. So the fact that was how long I was gone. So the fact that they were still around and kicking was a big deal. And then the fact that I got to find them was also a big thing. So, but of course we're rabbits. So there was twenty five nieces and nephews and a hundred and six grandkids. <laughs> and the next thing you know, you know, half the city is populated by lapids. And so that was interesting to you need some griffins to, see to thin the population. I was about to say, and then the great yeah. purge happened. Yeah, <laughs> that's the thing. Left unchecked, lapids will take over pretty quickly, numbers wise. Uh, so uh, they asked you to stay with them at that point. Yes, they did. But Rick's again was kind of in that stage of like, I I love you, but I don't know you. So I besides your two brothers, yeah, yeah. who are old and you didn't, yeah, you found was, yourself it hard to relate to them at this point. Yeah, and and so it was definitely one of those situations where I, as a player and as a character, were like, do I care enough to just decide to stay? Like, is this what I actually want? Um, and that was a, a good quandary to kind of struggle through. But I'm sure we'll get to that more later, because we're talking about story now. Yeah, so you guys you guys head back to... Uh, you head back to the inn, and you meet up with your friends, and you guys are all sitting at the bar, and you're dealing with the same kind of thing. You hear people talking all around you, but it's it's almost this, like... like I, I felt like very Lord of the Rings, like Frodo and his friends return home, and Frodo especially, like can't relate now with the like the just we're talking about hobbiton things and stuff and you guys are all feeling like we don't know how to relate so to much people. more to the we world have, than this we've been like yeah we've we've been beyond this world we've been to Avana. we have completed this quest from all the good gods that has brought about ramifications that nobody's going to understand um and and even you your characters don't fully understand as characters and you just find it really hard to uh, to relate. But Rix comes in. You guys 
uh, reconnect with Ricks, and you guys head off to Argonmore uh, to meet with Wesley Wonders. Tell us about that. Wesley, obviously, once again, super old compared to yep. everybody. Yep. Evil is all get out. I was right the whole time. <laughs> oh, yeah, let's talk about that. So, was Wesley Wonders evil? Because Chris said, totally evil. No. no. He's still <laughs> fooling you guys. Hex to the no. And we, and we didn't get to meet Bastion as a as a grown man, but but he's... You heard about him. We did hear about him, and he's a pretty boss wizard, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> so He said he was very, very talented. <laughs> so you guys told Wesley about things? Yeah. we uh, And he was befuddled. Yeah. He was, like, really impressed. And he was also kind of... He he wanted to investigate the armor that I brought back, to, yep. which was this... Uh, that It was this ancient beast hide armor, which was dragon armor. We did none of us had ever seen anything like that before. Which you guys didn't know was dragon armor. Yeah, exactly. Because dragons don't exist in Exactly. Way, right? It was just like, it was just this ancient armor that the gods gave us, gave me material to make this armor for. Yep. And so... Yeah, and so you guys spent some time with Wesley. Wesley, one of the handful of people that believes you and... Like, believes where you've been and what you've done because he was part of the only people that knew what you were doing in the mm-hmm. first place. And at some point in here, I think it was actually, pro- I think it was Cornelius actually that first mentioned this, um, but at some point we, we found out that there's orc problems to the yeast, and that uh, not, not so much that there's orc problems for these people, but that the orcs have been moving to the east. And they've that been they've being been, pushed back. Exactly, yeah. been pushing further, them to the east, east, and that that's... Um, I don't remember if it was just implied or if it was just if or if it, if it was explicitly stated that my people who, are, in, who the, live in the east, in, yeah. who live in the east were, have, were were having a problem with that, obviously because the orcs were pushing into their territory into their forests. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so that was something that was also kind of something we were going to try and get to is um, getting out to uh, to visit my my forest to see and that kind of that kind of spurred the logical next step of. You guys are back. You guys, the quest is done. What happens to the party? And so Torque decided to stay in Argonmore uh, to go to the uh, the arena and fight in the arena, try to become a champion of the arena. And he also used a lot of his gold for what? He created an orphanage yep. for mixed races of whatever, like half-orc, half-elf, whatever, that were banished. Dwelf. Dwelf, <laughs> <laughs> yes. That were kind of uh, shunned for being mixed blood rather than being... Why would Dork do that? Because he was a half-orc and he was... Ostracized. Yeah. Yeah, he, he was, was an orphan himself. and Yeah. Yeah, very ostracized, yeah. Until he yeah. met this group that kind of became his family, yeah. Right. And he also started a fighter's guild yep. on top of that. And then literally on top, it was and, a building. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> actually, it was, it was actually we're training the these orphans to be fighters. Yeah, it was that was basement. joked about, but I kind of feel like that's what a lot of orphans grew up to join this fighters guild. Yeah, it was actually in the basement. It was so... a way to stay in the program. <laughs> yeah, R and R was uh, official sponsor. <laughs> yeah, R and R was official. Earn your keep, or you're out on the street. <laughs> that almost rhymes. It's so good. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah, so that's that's what Torque did, and so you guys kind of you, you met at the gates of the city, and you guys said goodbye, like as a party, like you guys didn't know when you'd see each other again. Except for Ricks um, and you were together. Except for except for Ricks, who Ricks was just like, I don't know what to do right now. I'm like, I think you, uh, Mark, Ricks was having the hardest time of I don't know what to do. Like yeah. I feel the most lost coming back. Uh, my fit, my father found 
the city I went to, and then died of old age. My brothers, I have nothing to relate to. I had a bunch of dead. yeah, I have a bunch of nieces and nephews, and then great nieces and nephews. But I don't know how to relate to them, and I'm this age and really strange. And so you decide to go with Grouthoof to the east to try and help his people. Um, I think Rick's kind of felt like adventuring was his only option at this point to feel normal. Um, yeah. Kruor did not go east. Why didn't Kruor go east? So Kruor went north. He went with. Groundhog, did I go? I went with you guys for a no, little while, right? No, we on maybe like to the water, but not like that was maybe like yeah. a, a day or so. Was just yeah, so, so we we traveled for like a day or so together, and then we split. They kept going east, uh, and Kruor went north to uh, the foothills. There he lived. I mean, he met his family. They were all old. His brothers and his brother and sister were super old. Uh, and Kruor kind of just ran his dad's music shop where he grew up for the longest time for a couple years. Well, your dad and your mom were still alive because they, they have a little bit longer, uh, they have a, like a human, uh, lifespan. Yeah. And yeah, but they were barely, they were both like in bed, like, yeah, it was like, like one died leave. and then the other died. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they both died and Kruor, one of the, the moments that I would say were powerful moments was Kruor speaking as a young, a young in appearance halfling and body halfling at his old dying father's funerals, because halflings in my world have a, a living funeral kind of thing. So you were speaking to your dad about your dad with your family around you, like, while he's in bed, like, sick. And then you did the same for your your mother, and it was just this moment of, like, watching your old family pass away yeah. and you being still young. Yeah, yeah. and so Kruor finally, I think he... I don't remember exactly how it worked, but I think he was there until the rest of his family passed away or something. I don't remember exactly how it was, but one day he decided that he needed to go. And he went back to fulfill the promise that he had uh, with a, at the time, a young halfling in uh, the Nenwild. And so he went down there and found like a 48-year-old halfling that was there that he had given his rapier to when he was younger, saying that he'd come back and go to Thessia. And the guy was kind of like, uh... <laughs> What, I'm 50 years old yeah. now. Like, <laughs> what do you expect to do? And I think we still went. I mean... You still went? Yeah, we still went, but it was only for, like, a year or something like that. It wasn't for We said that long. you saved him from a minotaur attack. Yeah, because <laughs> he was old and yeah. couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. Yeah, so we got to go and finally explore uh, Thessia, which was more, like, Kruor really didn't care about going anymore. He more kept, like, wanted to keep his promise. Because yeah. um, he's kinda kind of like, eh, don't really care about... Been, I've been doing a lot. I've been doing a lot. I'm <laughs> yeah. okay. Um, but yeah, so then he, uh, I think he just went back to the foothills again after that and just lived there selling music yep. and whatnot for a while. Or no, he left it in charge with his brother yep. watched it while he was gone. And then he came back, took back over for his brother and, and probably at that point shop lived there and kept running until yeah. his brothers and his sisters had died as yeah. well and probably had that same I don't feel connected to this yeah. place anymore just yeah. longing maybe for Havana or just didn't know what to do with himself uh, Groundhoof traveled to the east with Ricks with Ricks um, you spend a lot of time flying on flying it in bird form and carrying Ricks and you eventually get back to your people Yep. Uh, what's the what was the reaction as soon as you get there? You see torches coming. You you're at night. You see your people coming at you. What happens? 
they approach me, and as soon as like as soon as like they, they get close to me, like they all the the group of four or five of them, the, the scouting group or whatever, they bow to me, and then they order me to come with them. Basically, like, <laughs> like they bow to me, and then they tell me to come with them. Um, Which it's like you've been gone for forty years. How do yeah, they know? Yeah, and I think you Which do. Have immediately, a I knew, and yeah. pretty much, I think Grandma pretty much yeah. knew this immediately. That obviously, either the prophet is still alive, or whoever has replaced the prophet has seen my coming and has sent these guys to, to bring me to him. So 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 I go with them. We go with them, and they escort us to the prophet. We, he was in his personal grove, and I went in there, and he's like on he's like basically on his deathbed. Um, and he kind of transfers his prophetship to me, which, I mean, I would, he told me I was a prophet for a long time, but, uh... There's um, this weird thing among your people, because prophets yeah, weren't, exactly. like, prophets didn't train up prophets. Yeah. It was, a prophet lived, or was chosen upon death by the, the god Celestian, and lived to be a prophet until their death, when at their death, their point of death, someone else was chosen. Yes. And so there was no other prophet in a tribe. So the fact that you were a younger uh, great horn that had visions was weird. Yeah. The fact that you left your group of satyrs in the first place was, was weird. culturally weird for your people. But and it so made you sense come back. God. Yeah, you came back to yeah, it does, and we'll we'll talk a little yeah, bit about yeah. that because that because that's a bad, that's a big deal. Um, and so you uh the you meet the great horn prophet, the great uh, prophet, and he passes on his robe to you, his staff. He passes away. You stay with him till he passes away, which is very shortly after. Once yep. again, this whole weird, so very convenient divine intervention kind of thing. Yeah, and because he was old, like he was quite old, like when I when I was when I left, yeah. like not even just when I first left on this quest, but like when I. When I left the grove, he was old. <laughs> um, and so, uh, outside of the grove, Rix is talking, like Rix does, yeah. to a bunch of very quiet, like, they don't like to talk, great horned satyrs who are just staring at the, the opening of the grove, and Rix is just out there like, what's going on? What do you think's <laughs> happening? What's what's happening here? Like, how are you guys doing? Yeah. And all of a sudden, <laughs> all of a sudden, Groundhoof emerges uh, from the grove wearing the uh, prophet's robe and the staff, and all of them get down on a, a knee and bow before you. And I don't remember what did Ricks do when that happened. I just—it was one of those like, buddy, this is kind of a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, that happened, and immediately you kind of got busy. Yeah, yeah. Um, because again, like, there's this orc incursion that's happening. Um, so immediately, I mean, it's talking to talking to generals and. Uh, um, organizing the druids and everything, and starting working on keeping keeping the, the orcs out, um, which unfortunately made it so that I wasn't able to really um, be an especially good friend to Rix at the time. But uh, he just needed someone to care. But uh, eventually, he decided <laughs> that he was going to leave, and so I I sent uh, a druid to to fly him home, so he didn't have to like travel by himself through the wilderness with the orc infested. Couldn't everything. even come with me. Yeah, ri- expl- uh, yeah so <laughs> Groudhoof stays and is just organizing and getting ready to go to battle against the orcs to fight them out of the forest because they keep trying to enter the forest, chop down the forest. Burn just the forest. Like, they're like, we need to take, we've been pushed back by the humans and the other civilized civilization races and now we might as well take over the forest and turn this land to what we want. And so your, your races, centaurs, um, all the woodland races are are kind of teaming up to fight, and you're, as a great prophet, are now in charge of leading that. And so Rick's feels like he's stuck around for, what, like three-ish days? 
just trying to see around him. Probably a little longer than that. But, yeah, not super long. And then it was kind of one of those moments where uh, (laughs) he kept on, like, I picture, like, that uh, at the cafeteria. I know that's not really a But, like, like standing there with his tray and Growlhouse, like, with the cool kids table. And he's like... (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Where do I go? <laughs> All the great horns are like, yeah. seats taken. <laughs> taken. Ricks goes and eats in rabbit bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> like mean girls. Uh, <laughs> mean great horn singers. Yeah. Mean lappets. So, <laughs> yeah, he eventually was like, well, this isn't any fun. And, you know, builds up the courage to admit to his friend that he doesn't want to be there anymore. And... <laughs> Goes over to Growlhof and he's like, um, can you take me home? <laughs> I'm bored. I'm homesick. Yeah. It's like when you spend the night as a kid over at somebody's house. <laughs> I need to go home. Let me go home. <laughs> um, and so, like, like you already said, you hook me up with a druid pal. Don't even go with me. And Sorry, I got responsibilities, <laughs> man. You send me away Being an adult on the back of hard. some dude. <laughs> the back of some dude. <laughs> um, and so I end up back in South Far, um, and I think it's like spend those last few days with my brothers, who conveniently were holding on just long enough for me to get home, and kind of just start going through the motions of functioning within a city life, and. I don't know. I've I've always pictured Rick's having like that, like a couple months or a little bit longer of like that glazed over, just like, well, I guess this is life now, kind yeah. of like I don't really like this, but I don't have any other choice. <laughs> My friends um, are all doing their own thing. Yeah. So he, and sometimes he would like go to like the Riders Club and hang out with those guys, and they would tell all these stories, and Rick's would always listen to him and be like, eh, I've done better. <laughs> And not really have, like, any way to, like, be interested in things. And then he ended up sitting down at the bar one day. A halfling pub, yep. Yeah. And... (laughs) (laughs) And met someone interesting. Um, So if you listen to the Hired Heroes podcast, there's someone conveniently with the same last name as Rick's. Um, So we had to figure out a way for the line to continue. Uh... (laughs) So what ended up happening was he he met a special someone, and I her name was like what Moonflower. Moonflower, yes. <laughs> I told you, lapids have weird names. Yeah. Um. So I forgot about that. Yeah. Stupid Moonflower. Yeah. Well, as soon as he said Moonflower, I go. I should have sent him a name. <laughs> so yeah, we end up meets a girl and settles down and all that jazz, and ends up continuing the Sodhopper family line yeah, so that Seb could exist someday. And so uh, that's where we kind of left off with all your characters for a couple years. Um, and then there was a big, like, final battle with Grouthoof uh, and, his, and the, his clan and the other clans and centaurs against, like, orcs and ogres and everything to kind of give that, that final, like, get rid of these guys, a big battle, and you guys had found out about it, and so um, you kind of all made your decision, do we go to the east to help Groudhoof, and we didn't know yet, and because you guys have already, like, you've got, I know Rix's wife now, Moonflower, was like, <laughs> don't go, like, like I don't want you to die, like, Baby that's not stay. good. <laughs> Whereas Torque and, um, and Kuro remained 
just bachelors the whole entire time. Just <laughs> couldn't find someone. Crew are probably like, man, I wish he had, I had the address for that dryad I met. <laughs> yeah, well, that was one thing when we went back there. I was like, can I go look for my dryad friend? Is she still alive? <laughs> um, and so tell us about that battle just in uh i mean it took a long time but that was yeah. mostly because you caleb took yeah, a long well, time to well yeah there's there's that do. and also i want to go back just a little bit just because like in that time in, like in that time crowd had done something that i had like ah, yes. I, I had wanted to make this a big goal of this character in general um as a contribution to the world and as a as a as a character thing for him and his tribe again it worked out really well with with the orc war because he'd kind of spent this time enhancing and and bettering his dragonhide armor so that it was really an intelligent item and a weapon unto itself and it had the a lot of different abilities to cast quench and to do various other things not 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 all things that have necessarily a lot of specific utility value for the character but for the tribe defending the forest to kind of as an heirloom to pass down to the future powerful druids and prophets of the of the tribe this was just something that he could make that would really defend the the, uh, the tribe and the forest. And so um, he's pretty much completed that at this point, put a lot of, a lot of uh, work and magic into it, um, all while waging this war. Um, and so he goes out there, and, uh, and it's him and all, all of the woodland creatures against just hordes of orcs and... Uh, um, there were trolls there too, or something, right? There were ogres. Ogres, and, yeah, yeah that's right. Like they had hill orcs and uh, yeah, yeah, hill, so, hill giants were there. Yeah, yeah, and so a lot of what took so long is because I mean, he's a druid, and so he's just summoning <laughs> hordes of elementals and yep. wolves and bears and all this other stuff, and created a treant out of a couple trees and all these different things. And that was a really great uh, dramatic sort of battle picture. But yeah, and so eventually. Uh, and despite all this, the battle seems to be going against him. I mean, his his friends to the side are, are falling, and uh, um, he's running out of creatures to summon. Um, but uh, in the distance, he starts feeling thunder coming through the coming through the ground, and he sees on the horizon this sort of dark shadow of movement. And uh, yeah, so, first you saw this figure on a on a Cerebus, yeah, uh, which you knew was Shadar, yeah, like the son, son of Rule was a good guy that you guys had met. Like rides up and you're just like, you're like, oh help! And then you see the silhouette of all your friends. Like uh, you see yeah. Drew on his Griffin, you see Torque on a on a war horse, uh, you see Ricks I think on the back of the Griffin as well, yeah. flying over. And then behind them, you see a bunch of stone giants. That's right. Yeah, which you guys had made friends with earlier on the campaign. Yeah. And so all of your friends and Shadar and the stone giants come into battle and basically turn the tide and just wipe out. The army. Think like Return of the King battle with the pretty Rodeo. much. Yeah, <laughs> like they just came in and they cleaned up. Yeah, 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 totally cleaned up. Yep. And so you guys, you guys had the celebratory like victory. Like it was this one nice night of you guys just hanging out. And one thing, satyrs know how to party, so you guys had a nice party afterwards. And it was it was like your group was together again after a big battle and just kind of felt normal again for one yeah. night. But then you guys had to once again part ways and. You guys said goodbye again, and you guys were like kind of sure this has got to be the the last goodbye. So you said goodbye, and and you guys returned to your homes. We played out then Torx's uh, fight in the arena, and you we we played with I think three hill giants. Yeah, it was, was it hill giants. It was, yeah, yeah, it was so three each, hill giants. Yeah, so you were fighting with Torx, and I let each of you guys 
have a hill giant. <laughs> and it was kind of, like, the moment, like, me as a player was like, oh, crap, what am I going to do? And then I realized after, like, the first few, like, hits on one of these hill giants, it was like, oh, okay, this isn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Because it has three attacks by now and does the lowest amount of damage you could possibly <laughs> do is, like, 22. I was I dropped in three hill giants, and I was like, yeah, uh, maybe Torque will die here. We'll see. <laughs> and I didn't want you to. Uh, but I was like, I want to give you a difficult battle. This is for the Arena Championship. And part of it was also because I think, Chris, right, you rolled just awful for your hill giant. Like, it was just two, three, Yeah, two. I ran up to him, and I had two hits, and I was like, I missed with both. Yeah. <laughs> well, there goes about 45 damage against Torque. And it's so hard to hit with Hill Giants. Even with Torque, it's, it should be a little bit difficult, even though he's got such a huge huge AC. But So you made just minced meat out of these Hill Giants. Two of them. Two, Two of, of them. them. And then all of a sudden, there was this special announcement because I decided <laughs> I wasn't going to let you have that championship super easy, and you heard a announcer coming over and just saying, and we've got a special surprise from you, a tremendous beast from the Savage Lands to the south, and the gate opens, and a Tyrannosaurus Rex comes out, eats the other hill giant left standing. He just kind of, like, is still staring at you and hears, like, boom, boom, boom from behind him, and it's just like, huh? And gets picked up in the jaws of a T-Rex, and T-Rex throws the hill giant up and just crushes just, him. Just like the lawyer in Jurassic Park where he gets yeah. put off the toilet and swung yeah. around. Exactly like that. <laughs> and Torque fought with the T-Rex, and it was a little bit more of a difficult battle. You're lucky yes, he chipped some and, teeth. Yeah. And the whole time, I think it was Chris who was controlling him. I rolled crappy again with the, like, with the Tyrannosaurus Rex. It was awful. But we were whole... hoping, like, honestly, Chris and me were hoping that the T-Rex would swallow Torque whole. Yeah. Because then Torque would still be able to fight. And we had this awesome image of Torque being inside the T-Rex and bursting out like, the rib cage. Like in Hercules when Hercules gets eaten by the Hydra. Yeah. And then comes out and like slices off to seven heads oh, or whatever. Yeah. And then next thing you know, a bunch of them come out. But... Just that whole scene of, like, standing there, like, exhausted, covered in whatever mm-hmm. is inside of that thing. But that didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> Instead, it was more of a, here, I'm going to try to grapple you. I'm going to counter-grapple and then attack. And then just back and forth, back and forth, counter-grapple, grapple, counter-grapple. Because I would hit you, but I would never get the grapple <laughs> required to swallow you. Yeah. Which sucked. Because that would have been really cool. <laughs> but it was fun. It was definitely one of those moments where it was I was... At very beginning, afraid for my character's life with three hill giants because I don't ever remember fighting them, so I didn't know exactly like. Well, what they, they should were be like. terrifying, but yeah, <laughs> things just really went your way. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you you won the arena championship, yep. and that's kind of like after that it was like years later, and Rick's was kind of the catalyst for what happened next. So Rick's has still struggled for this whole time with the like bored with. The mundane life kind of thing. Moonflower got stale. Moonflower oh. died. Moonflower was the, the <laughs> gleaming Moonflower light. Moonflower died, light. didn't she? Like Moonflower was well, Rick's is super old at this yeah, point. Yeah, Moonflower still had like good yeah. at this point. Yeah, she, she was uh, yeah, a couple months ago. Oh, we have, to, we have to point this out. So, first of all, before we go on, since you, you're making flower jokes... So at uh, Rick's and Moonflower's wedding, there is a actual flower called Moonflower. Yeah. And they were throwing it, like, instead of rice at the wedding. That <laughs> yeah, was so, beautiful. It was awesome. It was beautiful. <laughs> Touched the heart. Okay, the so... Romance. And you had two best men 
Except for Groundhog would have been your best man, but he wasn't there. Yeah. <laughs> so we're about, from the point that you guys actually got back from Ivana and the Damon plane and all that kind of stuff, we're about 40 years now in the future. So Rix yep. is now super, super old yeah. and is being kept alive, like, divinely, we, sh- we guess. Uh-huh. Um, and he's, like, on his last breath. Moonflowers died a couple of years ago. Just probably depressed in his old age. Just like bored. Does the crosswords <laughs> every single hour of every single day. Maybe yeah. some Sudoku. Like, who knows? <laughs> Spends um, a lot of time whittling. <laughs> and so, yeah, and he gets a, he does get a newspaper, right? And what sure. does he find out? Uh, he finds out there's this uh, expedition to the lands to the east. east. And so he's like, sure, we'll give that a shot. I'm kind of misadventure. Miss Space Adventure, not Miss Adventure. <laughs> no, no. Um, <laughs> both. No, no. <laughs> both. So he ends up going, I, I think I'm going to do this. I want to do this. I'll, it's better than sitting at home staring at the wall. So, and then he decides to send a letter to all of his friends. Why to be like, just I want to get the gang the back wall. together. <laughs> Oh, just quiet, something happened. Quiet, to you, you one with purpose. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you um, sent letters. Yeah, to them, like, so he sends the letters trying to get the old gang back together. Didn't think anyone would yeah, show up. We should have just came. said no. <laughs> I, was, I was ready to say no, but freaking God. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, so, okay, so let's go. So, Kruor gets it, and Kruor. Says yes. He's yeah. like, okay, one last adventure. Yeah, because his brothers have died at this point in time, yeah. too. And he kind of like has this moment where he locks up the music shop one last time. His griffin is dead, I'm sure, at this point in time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just starts going to South Bar to meet up with yeah. Ricks. <laughs> That's enough. Uh, Torque gets it, and Torque is always up for adventure. Oh, yeah. and so Torque is just like, Torque like reads half the letter and is out the door. <laughs> yeah, with a bunch of fighters with him. Yeah, you brought some fighters with you. <laughs> I'll finish this when I get Groundhog, like you said, would probably have said no. You're listening to this happening, you're ready, you know this letter's being sent out, but before you even got the letter, you had a vision. Uh, yourself and your friends on a ship sailing into the sunset. And so when you got the letter, you're like, yep, I gotta go. And I think you almost tried to fight it, and well, you got another vision of the same thing. It wasn't so much you that I tried to fight it. More. Yeah, like I asked for more guidance, and I can't remember exactly what was happening in my head at that point. I think it may have been that I asked for more guidance after I talked to the tribe yeah. and got their reaction, maybe. Well, because you went to the tribe and said, I'm going on a journey. Oh, yeah, what it was, that's right, what I wanted, I, because, I'm again, like my role is prophet. It's supposed um, to end when? It's supposed to end when I die. Yeah. Um, and then there's supposed to be another prophet appointed at that point. So I was really hoping that along with this breach of tip, of, of my typical role um, that Celestia was clearly guiding me toward, um, that he would also give a some guidance as far as like who the next prophet would be um, just so that I could specifically give my my tribe someone someone to follow so that they would know who they're going to be following when I die, so that they're not, like, without a leader from the time that I disappear until I die and another prophet's appointed. Um, and so I waited for, I think, an extra day or two just to give Celestia that opportunity to, to really give that extra bit of guidance for me and my tribe. But I really just got another version of the same vision, I think. So I went out and I, I told the tribe, I was like, okay, guys, I've been, been told by Celestian that I have to I have to go. I have to leave you guys. But when I die, and I don't think I'm going to be coming back. I think this is probably going to be the last time you see me. But when I die, I and mean, Celestian will 
we'll give you guys a new, a new prophet. And, I mean, really, I don't think I even really got that far. But, uh, but the whole tribe kind of really pretty much rioted at that point. I mean, it was like, no, you can't, like, you can't go. Like, we're what not... crap, bro? I, yeah, I just had this image of, like, satyrs breaking into satyrs shops and stealing wooden TVs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, they were, they were pissed. They were mad. They weren't... They weren't giving you respect that people usually... That yeah, you, people like, I mean, I'm the prophet. I'm, like, basically yeah. the final well, say on everything in this tribe, but always. But what you were like, saying to no, them was, like, There's no higher authority. It was, it was uh, against tradition. Exactly. And it, and it wasn't like... You know, it's, funny you should, it's funny you should use the word blasphemy, yeah. blasphemy because it's it's not so much blasphemy. Like, it's totally in line with what Celestian values and what <laughs> he expects from his followers. But it's totally against what any, any, of, any of our race, any of our tribes ever really do i mean we're a very sedentary race we're not wanderers or travelers or adventurers that's not how we typically behave as and a group or, or as individuals but celestian does value those things i mean celestian is the sky wanderer is that what, that's what yep. He's, yep. he's the sky that's wanderer title he has, yeah. um and so that's like that's a significant breach between our race and the god that we worship so to, to so strong of a breach that when Celestian, through his prophet, says, this is what we need to do, and it makes total sense from that god's perspective, the tribe is like, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. We're not going to let you do that. A and people group that values tradition clearly and comfort of what they're used to over their true... They've severely moved away from what their god truly wants. And you're the prophet... Probably one of the few prophets now of these people is just trying to do the right thing. Yeah. And you're getting shunned and yeah. called a blasphemer. And uh, they they want you to stay, but they don't agree with you at the same yeah. time. I feel like if, if and I, since since we had this, it's like since, since we actually played through the epilogue, um, I've kind of thought in my head a little bit. That I feel like if I if I as a player had known this was gonna this was gonna happen, I probably would have had not like in a meta game sort of way, but a little bit I kind of a little bit meta gamey, um, would have had Grauhof do what totally makes sense that he would do given his life experience. It just didn't seem that significant because I didn't know this was gonna happen. But I probably would have had him kind of try and slowly incrementally guide the tribe towards more of a mobile sort of view of the, of themselves as a race and as a tribe. Which may or may not have changed anything, but it was just kind of this thing I've thought of since then that probably would have made sense for Grauhof to do. It just didn't even occur to me that that was a thing until all of a sudden the tribe is pretty much revolting when I'm trying to leave. Like, whoa there. Like, yeah, and so you still were leaving, and you there was this leaving scene where you, you call up a unicorn, because unicorns are huge and very rarely seen, and... You ride out on the That's right, unicorn. I forgot I did that. And also, I, the, a very important thing I did, both for the for the story, yep. for, for this immediate story, and also for the course of the world, um, I, I took my armor that I had created for this rebellious, stubborn people, and I left it there for them for the next prize. I said, I said here's this. I, I gave the, the prophet staff and, and that armor. I was like, when the next prophet is appointed, these belong to him. Then I summoned a unicorn and... Drop mic and left. Yeah, it's and very, they they went. Moses of you. <laughs> yeah, there was just <laughs> silence, like a pin. If Great Horns had a pin, <laughs> and a pin dropped on the forest floor, you could still hear it from the silence when you left on that unicorn of just like you're leaving your people for the right reasons, but your people all are forsaking you, and 
I know. I think it was a little hard for you. It as was. A I was um, really frustrated and, by that whole. And thing. everybody who listens to the podcast knows I'm all about tragedy. And I, you know, you went into this campaign knowing that your people were not following their god the right way. But I think I think it was hard for you. Yeah. And, and I'm I'm sorry for that. But <laughs> at the same time, I'm not sorry. So, I, I think I, I think at one point, like during the sorry, thing, I was like, sorry. I was like, Mitch, I hate you. Like, why are you doing this to me? Like, this is awful. Um, so you, uh, Rix is waiting on the dock for his friends, and his friends arrive. You guys get onto the ship, and you sail off into the sunset. And I think, was that one, did you guys think it was just going to end there? No. After that vision? No? I don't think I really You had said that. at the beginning of the night, we're going to go until you're all dead. Okay. That's, so. a, good, that's a good point. <laughs> I'm just like, and your diet, see. My, my thought was, when we got the letter, box. I thought there was more to it than just... Sailing because it was like explore. We were going to explore. Yeah, I thought is what it was. So when when you said we were gonna sail, I was like, no, oh, we'll probably run into something because. So it's you guys, Mitch. <laughs> it's Mitch. Yeah. So you guys <laughs> land on this island, which I think all of you realized where you guys had landed. It was the island that I first created for this world, and you guys set up camp there. You guys start heading across this island, and you're noticing on this island that there are weird hills with weird jagged rocks coming out of these hills um, and eventually you guys travel across the island to a place where uh, Cornelius Crow's son um, Cornwallis Crow is with you guys we decided it was grandson right? grandson yep grandson was yep we decided it was grandson and he um, he gives this cool speech and he basically declares the area that you'd stop at was going to be Crow's Point. This place, they would name it Crow's Point, which was what, what was the significance of Crow's Point? We, we know this town first, from that, that original quest. Ever ever city we played in. Yeah, the yeah. first ever town yeah. we ever sat down in my world and played in. And so he, and so he, he raises his flag. He goes up to a hill and he plants it in this hill. And what happens? It yeah, doesn't work. The it hill oh yeah, wakes it didn't up. work first. Yeah, like yeah. three times it didn't work. Yeah, he yeah. keeps like trying to stab it into the ground. It doesn't. And then finally, he stabs it in the ground. And then the, earth the hill wakes up. Yeah, the yeah. earth splits. The hill wakes up. What happens? So the, the it it opens up the earth. He falls in. You guys are all. Everybody's walking back from this place. You see him fly out screaming. Ah! And falls back in, and you hear a crunch. You see a hand, a clawed red hand, come up from the crack. You see another clawed hand come up with, which was missing a claw, which if you guys remember from story time, a prophecy, a a vision, yep, of a uh, constellation in the sky lost part of its, you know, one of its claws. I mean, it was it was a and that was Bastion Wind Sailor um, because he was a fallen star. That's an arcane human. All that stuff. Blah blah blah. Uh, a red dragon, although you guys have never encountered a dragon before, comes out, a, a huge red dragon, and basically starts talking about you guys. Uh, who woke, woke you up? Yeah, who woke me up from my slumber? How dare you mortals? I was supposed to sleep until Telvani, which you guys don't know what that is, and you guys can give your theories on that. We'll talk about that. Um, but so he, uh, And then he says, if you guys, if you mortals are, because of you mortals, now I will bring Telvani to today you. to yeah. you. Um, and he lets off this roar and points his mouth toward the sky and a jet of flame erupts, which for people who haven't seen Dragons before was you, all you guys, I just imagine everybody like falling backwards, stepping backwards, like, oh my gosh, this is not good. He used one of his breath weapons yeah. for the day. <laughs> and all of a sudden the ground all around starts to shake and you see these dragons popping up from all over the island. And then we started a battle <laughs> between you guys a blue dragon, a, a large dragon. blue dragon, a large green dragon, and a huge red dragon. 
So some interesting things happened during that battle. Go ahead and describe that battle. Well, right off the bat, this dragon comes to comes to Growlhuff because he smells dragony oh, yeah. dragoniness on him. Yeah, he's not um, wearing his armor. Yeah, I mean he's not but wearing he's his worn armor, it for a long he, time. He's worn it for thirty years or whatever, twenty years, something like that. So I mean he's definitely he's got the scent on him. And so yeah, he immediately walks showers. up to him and is like, you, you smell like, what is, what is, what is like he? My, you smell like you are wearing the skin of my kin or something like something that. Something like yeah. that, he says. And then, and I'm like. So he, he did not like you starting you off. Yeah, yeah. And so like, <laughs> he, like any of you guys. He pretty much just you. takes a swipe at me and, and gets me in his hand. And he's, um, I, I, I think he tries to do something else. But then I, I turn into a songling yeah. and go flying away. A little pidgey bird. Yeah, a little, yeah. <laughs> Pidgeotto. <laughs> and kind of other combat things kind of are happening, but really the first thing he does after he transforms is he tries to fly over to to Rick's, um, who's really the only person who has a lot of really good, well, probably the person with the most really good damage potential anyway, goes to turn him invisible, and he does, but then, like, the very next turn, or the very next breath of uh, flame that this <coughs> dragon breathes is right in that spot where he's just this tiny bird, and he already taken significant damage from uh, the original swipe where he grappled him so so he died like he was like it was it was and it was huge damage like it he was, was pretty he awful. was super dead yeah. like, there was not it was not even close he was dead just like you're just like uh, okay add 10 carry the two but he's dead <laughs> <laughs> he's dead three times <laughs> it was pretty crazy and so Groudup was the first among you to die in this crazy battle what about the rest of you guys oh, Torque went off to go fight a dragon by himself did pretty well almost almost, <laughs> almost killed to him. his knees but what and, happened the blue dragon came yep. out of nowhere, picked him up, and they had a grapple fight in the air for a few rounds. Well, he picked, and him, I, picked him up and just started flying up. Yeah, yeah straight up. <laughs> yeah, and, and... I think they can fly like a hundred and something per round. Something. So he's you're, you're trying to like grapple him and like control him, and it's just this fight between and you and him. the whole time I was doing the wrong grapple modifier until like the very end. And then it just didn't matter because I still failed anyways. But because dragon, we, yeah, we got to like four hundred feet, and like I'm sitting there thinking like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna make this dragon dive bomb to the ground and then jump off last second and maybe survive this. <laughs> and then I failed the grapple check and four hundred feet up in he the air. The dragon you. basically just he, throws he didn't me just like lose ground. grapple on you. He like chucked you. Yeah, he threw me, threw me to the ground. He threw you, threw you to the ground. Threw you to the ground. And the whole time I'm upset with me for not doing the right thing. At the same time, I'm upset with Mitch because I really wanted Kirk to live. You weren't upset for long. We'll just... Yeah, Torque wasn't upset long. for long. Yeah. No. I think like, we said, all right, you've got about three rounds of falling. And then, <laughs> and then, and then we and did then the math, and it was and like, no, you have three, like a round. Yeah. Yeah. From three to half a round, because the next round was almost done already, and it was pretty much like, oh, you hit the ground as soon as you start, so it's not even worth even trying anything. Yeah. Torque parts everywhere. I believe we agreed about To end, roll like, a certain amount of damage, right? Torque was upset, like, was pissed off at the beginning that he lost, and then he's, like, realized, oh, you know what? Whatever. I've done, I've lived my life. This is how I would want to die. And so we just kind of accepted his fate and fell to the ground, and when we did the damage worth, the 400, like, do the whole... And this being said, I do, da- I do falling damage different because I think that 3.5 falling damage is ridiculously low, and so... It came out to some, like... It was, like, just over a 1,000. Yeah, yeah, it was some ridiculous amount of damage. <laughs> it was dead, like, eight and, times over. 
Yeah. <laughs> you don't need to add it up for real. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm just saying I was, yes. I was trying to think of what he was at. He was at like 140-something health, so it's about eight times. Yeah. Look at that. So, yeah, uh, Torque smashes against the ground, just explodes. The dragon was so hurt that he just flew off, didn't rejoin the battle. So, Rick's, while this is happening, is evading dragon fire. Like, I think we yeah. finally like I nobody's think we killed business. the green one, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, no, the green I one think... rushes at you because you were chopping at the big one's legs. And you landed two hits, and he was so weak from the torque yeah. that you yeah, just killed right. him. And we were just like, Crewor, kill him, I'll try this! <laughs> yeah. But there's yeah. no way you're going to survive this but battle! The, well, yeah, because in the, the next round, it was like the the big dragon didn't really pay any attention, but he's like a puny little thing. Yeah. Uh, so he tried to attack Ricks again. I don't remember if you, like, He finally hits Ricks. Yeah. That's what Ricks doesn't get burnt to a crisp. He rolled no. really low. Ricks is really gross. hurt. Yeah. I've, taken out for the battle. Yeah, I did the half damage, and it was still, like, 70% of my life, if yeah. not more. And so, Kruor is the last man standing. This huge dragon is probably going to turn around, move, eat him. I and had one chance to do something. What? You did hit. You crit 20. You nat 20. But that shouldn't kill a dragon. It doesn't. What happened? It doesn't kill a dragon. Uh... <laughs> This is I, not, I, it's so ridiculous it can't be I, made up. I have <laughs> this I have this weapon that I have never gotten to use. The first time I used it in you crit. You can't use it, but it's never worked. Well, it's never worked with the crit. So the way the crit is is like if I crit and I leave the dagger in, whatever it's stuck in becomes like aligned with me and I can basically tell it what to do for an hour until the spell wears off on it. Never gotten to use it. The one time I crit with it was with a mimic. Yeah. Because I was like, oh, it's coming to life. And then we found out that your hand sticks to a mimic. So I was like, well, I used my hand. It's a dagger, a dagger from old tomorrow. Like, so, yeah. of course, it's a tricky, weird thing. And if you if you hit an ally, it, it would turn them against e- you. Yeah, evil. And so <laughs> I find, like, of all the times for this to happen, it happened on this dragon. And I think I even joked around. I was like, yeah, Chris, I'm sorry, but you're probably dead unless you get a nat 20 right yeah. now. And, and I was just like, yeah, it's not going to happen. <laughs> I had a 5% chance, and I did it. <laughs> did it. I, I landed the crit, and all of a sudden the dragon, like, turns and gets right in my face. And it's just, like, sitting there. Doesn't yeah. do anything. <laughs> like a puppy dog. And I was like, this is what I want you to do. I want you to kill as many dragons as you possibly can. Yep. And then told him to go. <laughs> and he, like, flies off and just begins killing all kinds yeah. of dragons. Dragon after dragon after dragon until all of the dragons realize what's going on and all of a sudden that dragon that I expected to be the leader in this next event called the Dragon Worlds in my world to be like the general of the dragons <laughs> gets swarmed <laughs> by your tell ten, <laughs> tens of dragons just attacking him, ripped him to shreds and you just see him plummet to the ground. So we joke that Kruor was truly killer of dragons <laughs> that day. Um, and so Kruor is there with just probably less than a quarter of the people that started out. Yeah. Um, and we, like, after that, we went and hid in the caves. Just yeah, you saw sure, like, another big dragon. So you got you messed up the fact that that dragon, Thraben the Ancient, was supposed to be big news in my world in that timeline, <laughs> I will always say. Um, and you saw this other big black dragon take the rest of the dragons and they started flying off. Kroor took the rest of the people to the cave. He dragged Ricks, who was very badly burnt and old. (laughs) (laughs) I'm old. (laughs) And Kroor kind of held his friend's hand as he passed away. And Kroor gave a speech to the people there and said, we will build here. And Kroor built the first... Kroor's always doing things. (laughs) Kroor 
somehow survived this crazy battle by rolling an at 20 at the right moment, and Crow was the one who built Crow's Point, the first town that we ever played in any Dungeons & Dragons game in my world. And that's where we left off. So I think that night you tweeted about it. By the way, Torque's death, like, I tweeted about it, and it got a lot of chatter, so that was <laughs> sweet, man. Um, and uh, Kroor, I think you tweeted, so sad. My, retiring my favorite retiring character. Retiring my favorite character. Yeah. And people were asking, what happened to him? And you're like, oh, he's building some town somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, That's all I said. I was like, ah, oh, he's just, he's off in a different land now, building stuff. And so we ended the night with Groudhoof gets to Ivana, and if you listen to the Ivana story time, he didn't get to go see this tree. He got to go see this giant tree. That's where he shows up. Yeah. yeah. And he he see he's like looking around. He's on the ground. He sees this arm reach out for him. Who was it? It was uh, his buddy. Um, uh, Faunus. Faunus. There we go. His buddy Faunus, and and apparently, we didn't say this before, but he had actually died. Yeah. While before. we were gone, like during that forty years that we were walking on the stairs, <laughs> um, he had died during that time with the orc incursions. Um, I discovered that when we when we when we went back to the forest the first time after coming well, back. He didn't die while you guys were on the stairs. He died pretty well, much while yeah, you guys I'm, were traveling. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, that, he was like, <laughs> oh really? Okay. Yeah, he died after okay. you guys got got back. Gotcha. He was just but, he was yeah, poor timing because because <laughs> we knew uh, we we knew by the fact that he was there. And with other things that we learn yeah. when other people go to Atlanta, that he had to have died sometime after we got the guiding light back. So, so yeah, he. But anyway, so he would, he had died, and he was there in Ivana, and he greeted me, and so that was great because he's my best friend, and we left the tribe together, and he was yeah. dead when I got back. So even sad. though you were mad at me with the tribe, you got to end in Ivana with your best friend, yep. walking in the endless woods yep. in eternal bliss. Yep. Um, then Torque gets to Ivana to a, the city that he never got to see his house. And tell me about your house. It was big. Yeah. Had an arena in the basement. Yep. Somehow they fit with a, a sweet of... door. Oh yeah. You pulled the lever and you basically spoke oh, any type of right. creature. <laughs> right. Yeah. It was just like, oh, pull the lever. Okay, I want to fight this, and then the thing would just like come out of the yep. door. Like it was pretty great. I'm pretty T Rex sure. a day. <laughs> yeah, because he can't die anymore. Yeah. Like, what's, what's and I'm do? pretty yeah. sure he. Cord came to visit a few times and fought things with him. I'm not yeah, sure all about that, but okay. <laughs> In his dreams. I'm pretty sure seeing the gods was a one-time thing. You might have been... You probably could have gone up to the gods uh, And city, actually stood a chance against He wasn't coming time. down to you. And so then Rix gets to Ivana. Yeah, he does. He sees his two brothers. Mm-hmm. And they're waiting for him. And, yep. and But nobody else. Well, well Moonflower, no, come on, Moonflower, dude. Moonflower, yeah. Was I'm there. saying nobody else has in... Your father wasn't yeah, there. Yeah, dad wasn't there. We, met, we, sister we wasn't mentioned, there. but your father's not there. Yeah. And we'll talk about that. And for the first time since really reuniting with his brothers, he actually felt like he belonged with them. And it kind of was one of those like happy family moments. And yeah. kumbaya and all that stuff. Roasting marshmallows around the fire and... <laughs> And then you guys yeah. wandered off into your hole and yeah. did rabbit stuff. And then last, Kruor, of course, dies years later of old age because he survived the one battle. And he gets there and he's reunited with his mother, his father, his brothers and his sisters. His older brother and younger sister. But, but his twin brother and other, our older sister weren't there. Why? Because the guiding light had not been put back into its rightful place at that point in time when they died. 
And so we, we left the campaign with a mostly high point. Uh, you guys are in heaven, like the heaven of my world, Ivana. Yeah. But these people are not with you. And so a little bit of a downer during the high. And so that's that was where we ended my campaign with literally the death of your characters. And I thought it would be appropriate in a campaign where you visited heaven to ha- follow up with you guys get to heaven. And so the afterlife. And so uh, a couple of things uh, I think we wanted to talk about was... Uh, first of all, let's it's we're right on it right now. But uh, what did you guys after contemplating it, thinking about it? Your brother who died before the guiding light was not there. Your sister who died was not there. Your father who died before was not there. What did you guys think about that in terms of your characters, in terms of players thinking about this as a story? Cool. Or would want to go find him and bring him here. Yeah. Well, where where is he? Do you guys? He's probably with wherever Nerul had the souls go. Yeah, so like the the underworld, like not a good place. No, and so they... There's God's Wars in your part. Maybe Kuroa starts the God's (laughs) War by recruiting some of the gods to go and get them. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) So yeah, the anybody who died before you guys got this guiding light, and this is like hundreds of years into my world, is stuck in the underworld. And what was weird about that we talked about was that this was not a quest that you guys were called upon from the gods as soon as the guiding light was stolen, but like you guys stumbled upon this and kind of made it your own quest. And the gods had this sense of, especially because it was led by Istis, the god of like fate and it'll destiny. It'll happen. Yeah, when it happens. it'll happen when it's supposed to happen. So it's kind of this like un, a little bit of an uncaring like spirit about it. Like they're not, they're not super well, good. Like they're happy to have the guiding light back and now. To populate Ivana with souls of the dead who are worthy to be here, but the souls that were taken before are just forever lost. Yeah. But at the same time, I think it's interesting. Like, it was important enough for them that they sacrificed, was it Istis's daughter? Whose daughter uh, was Pelor's it? Pelor's daughter. Pelor's daughter, that's right. It was Pelor's daughter. Um, they sacrificed Pelor's daughter to allow us to, to perform that quest in addition to this whole convoluted method of recruitment that they yeah. set up in the first place. So obviously, like, while there's this kind of somewhat apathetic attitude about it, there's obviously a certain degree to which it is obviously very important to them. And uh, in think, my, how many times do I have to say obviously there? Anyway. In my in my uh, thought process of that, like Mirish, the god who sacrificed herself, she would have not been okay with the waiting thing. Yeah. And that was the conflict between gods. Like some gods, when you guys got there, were not happy to see like certain things happening. Some gods were happy about everything. Some gods were kind of indifferent and it's like you have this pantheon of gods and every single god doesn't agree with everything it's this council where we we don't all agree we decide together and is this being the the god of faith the god of destiny and kind of what i think caleb you said like he seems like the head honcho a little bit he's on this golden throne they're all on silver thrones like of course if a god is if a god is just like hey it happens when it happens like there's gonna be a little bit of that uncaring added to the world as far as the gods when the true neutral's in charge, yeah. neutrality tends to be the trump card. Truest of true neutral. Yeah. yeah. So I think there's that, that element of, like, we're, we're not going to seek out heroes. We're going to provide the opportunity for the mortals to solve their own problem. And was, then, was then, an and then we'll show them that the problem even exists. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, we provide the opportunity for them to seek out being the solution without understanding what, what they're seeking to solve. And then, you know, there's, there's, once we arrive, you know, there's that, that dialogue and that conflict of, 
half the group's like, yes, finally, the solution is here. And then the other half is like, why are, nah. these, why are these freaking mortals in our town? <laughs> um, so, so seeing that dynamic, and again, there's the one, the one deity who gave their existence for yeah. us to succeed in this task. Obviously, on the far end of the fantastic, they're here spectrum, as, as far as the willing to sacrifice in order for this goal to be achieved was an interesting element. And one of those things where it's like, oh man, I wish I could have a character in the future worship that God that nobody will think of because they don't exist anymore kind of situations. Um, and and having to think through that and witnessing this pantheon that's led by a, a true neutral is interesting to think about. Yeah, it was cool. I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, we've talked about it on, I mean, Mark, you and me especially talked about it on the Pantheon episode. Oh, yeah. I like the idea of gods being flawed mm-hmm. in my game. In real life, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but in my game, I, I want my gods to be flawed and have human-like characteristics that they make mistakes and they don't always do what's right, even if they are considered good gods. And so, I mean, it, like, we kind of ended with this, like, who are your brother? And it's unfortunately not in Havana. So, well, where is he? That's not cool. Your father, Rick's father's not in Havana. Well, where is he? That's really not cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the ramifications of that. And like, truly, I think we end with this story of your group of PCs way above the gods in this end of the story being the heroes here. Because the gods just kind of, they probably could, they could have stepped up and made it more imminent and imperative to the situation. But they kind of just were like, hey, when when the right heroes come along, this problem will be solved. And kind of tough to think about in a sense. Especially going forth as characters now in my world. And, like, not the characters that we play from now on aren't going to know about this. Yeah. Like, in the, like they'll, there'll be talk about Ivana now, but it's they're not going to be talking about how, oh, well, you know those people years ago, they're actually not in Ivana. Should have Kuro write a book. Yeah. Think about <laughs> it. I, I imagine maybe you did. I, I'm cool with making a book about it, but uh, even if Kuro wrote a book, it doesn't mean that everybody's going to take that as their, no, their history. history but yeah, no. uh, maybe there is a uh, group of people that have read Kuro's book. And What would your book be called? There and back again? <laughs> <laughs> and back again? And back again. There and back and back. No, it'd just be called Lost. <laughs> Lost. <laughs> back to the future. Yeah, right. <laughs> Caleb, your people, I feel like we're deep in, jumping into theology of the game yeah, here yeah. right now a lot, but like a people who worship adamantly a god, but in actuality aren't aren't worshiping the god correctly. They're not, they're not, fo- they're not following what that god's value system is. I, really, I, I feel like we covered it pretty well when we were talking about it earlier. The concept of a group devoutly following a deity of travel. Yeah. And, being, and they're explicitly and, sedentary. And be, being all about we stay here um, is, is a wonderful uh, juxtaposition of philosophy. And just witnessing that play out in a, in a fiction is something that's difficult to do, difficult to write, and difficult to come up with. But when, when you see it, you're like, huh, that is interesting. How would that play out amongst a group? And how would that 
you know, look like as time went on. And I feel like the example of of going like, I am leaving, and the group being like, heck no, this is not a good idea. And the the outrage that would occur both from from the devout mm-hmm. being all about no we're supposed to do this why are you not doing this it's it's almost like this this earth shattering philosophy moment of like you are living life wrong according to the values that you have set out and there's this this hypocritical whirlwind and, that would take and it place. almost it almost comes to feel because like this is the way it's always been done um, even though it's explicitly not what uh, what what the way that the the deity they claim to worship and serve is, um, not even though it's explicitly not the way that he would have things done, it's the way it's always been done. So the person when that then kind of seeks to rectify that or mm-hmm. follow his God's wishes, then kind of becomes the the outcast, the rebel. Flying in the face of tradition by actually following through on the expectation. I kind of think of it in the sense of um, when you really look at what the Great Horn Satyrs were doing with Celestian, uh, they they were obsessed with the star aspect. And yeah. Celestian led their people in the sense of they were able to see they were able to see the future sometimes and see signs in the stars. Mm-hmm. And with Celestian, it seems that they were more concerned with what they wanted from Celestian yeah. than what Celestian wanted them. Yeah. And then you saw that again with uh, you were the prophet, yeah. the great prophet that is supposed to lead them. And yet when it came down to you talking to them and telling them what your their your God, which who, who should be the ultimate leader of it, their people yeah. that just want what they want from them, were telling them this is how Celest- this is what Celestian wants. And they have they no were, reason to question yeah, that. Like, they were trying to lead you. Yeah. Like the there leader. Was, there like was some heavy coercion. There was, like, some heavy coercion from, um, from them, like, saying, like, you can't do that. And I, I think at one point, Grauho just said, like, what do you mean I can't do this? Like, yeah. I'm the prophet. I speak for Celestian. You follow Celestian. Why would you tell me I can't do this? And I think that's, I mean, that's that's what a lot of people do in real life with the religion, right? They They take what they want from it and will try and turn it to what they they believe and I mean you saw that like to an extreme in these people yeah of uh, they wanted what they wanted from their beliefs uh, and even the person who was like in their minds like oh like if you ask them before that happened they've been like oh yeah great prophet we'll listen to whatever he says he is the connection between us and our God but as soon as you said something they didn't want to hear they started telling you what was what and said you listen to us you stay here because that's how it's supposed to be <laughs> so I know that you were upset with me about that ending but I hope now you can kind of look back having yeah. a good conversation on it I, with a little I bit definitely, of fun. I definitely have a lot of respect for the complexity and, uh, and um, the creativity of coming up with that. And the, and the end the end thing is that not everything always goes the way that it should and that's kind of where I want to end that with um, a couple last things. Uh, Telvani. <laughs> The dragon not happening out. here anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell uh, uh, no. there was a big black dragon that uh, decided to not in the leave. same way. Um, he was but, like, I heard that guy say Tovani. That's such that's, a good idea. That's a, <laughs> that, I mean, that is a good a, a good thing to point out here. That it was something that I was very not expecting for that one dragon to die. Um, in fact, I had a hit point like half his hit points. That if you reached half his hit points. That would have been your victory in the sense that he would have flown off and left you left you guys alone. So yeah, like there could have been this point where you guys would have quote unquote won that battle. Uh, Chris, you 
Oh, we I, won that battle. This is players <laughs> not doing something that I didn't ever expect. And you finally, you did something that I was not expecting to happen. And you commanded the dragon. It was super important. And the thing is, it's like, and here I just want to plug for timelines. Listen to our timeline episodes. Create different timelines and you can have big mess ups in your story that you weren't expecting. Because Chris, you totally messed up three of being the dragon in this in this war, and hopefully at some point we'll play through this war, and we're gonna do the timeline where Thraven was killed. Because well, now there's that. now there's like a As god a weapon somewhere yeah. in the world. Reset, yeah, that god weapon is somewhere like <laughs> on Dragoncrest Island, like Just, either, well, no, either fell out uh, from the attacks of all the dragons, or is on a rotting carcass of a dragon. Who or knows what's is in the stomach, oh, stomach of another dragon. Yeah, you pointed out like world. maybe another dragon went to bite his leg and bit off that dragon weapon and maybe it's flying anywhere around. in the world. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, they'd probably be either on Dragoncrest Island or in Shamash because odds are, like since that's where the that's where the dragon war seems to be going toward. That's where it seems to be primarily starting. It seems good odds. I mean, it could be it could be anywhere. But there's good odds that if the dragon, if the dagger didn't just fall with the dead body, the dragon that ate it probably ends up in Shemesh yep. and either dies there or flies it's a, off to... It's a, a dragon that is uh, semi-aquatic. And well, here, here's, here's what, here's what happens, guys, is the dragons will gather together and see the ship that you guys came over with, and one of the ancient dragons will use um, one of his spells that can locate the point of origin of an object on the ship and lead all those dragons <laughs> to Shemesh because of that. Oh, snap. <laughs> Let's go get them. So Hopefully he locates something from the Savage Land or something. <laughs> all right. Oh. Uh, that's a dwarven axe. Yeah. <laughs> it's, well, this ship was actually constructed in. <laughs> dragons versus T-Rex. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like one of those corny movies. A really bad movies. sci-fi movie. Yeah. <laughs> like they had one of the dumb sci-fi like, channel. Yeah. Sharknado. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Megalodon versus giant octopus. But what uh, number seven? I know that you guys had thoughts about this Telvani thing. I'm obviously not going to say anything about it. But right. he said so. The dragon comes out of the ground. Uh, which why were the dragons in the ground? Do you guys remember? The, they were when the gods create or took over the land from the ancients. Yep. Yeah. They banished them down. Yep. You saw them like blast them out of the right. sky and they fell to the earth. Right. So should have just killed them. Yeah, God can't do anything. In right. like the in the creating of the world uh, and reshaping of Atos, which was just like a dead land, uh, which was just ash ground, uh, they they built over oh, yeah. these dragons that they thought were dead, <laughs> but they weren't. Gods so. are stupid. <laughs> they have such a high intelligence, and they can't figure out if something's dead. It doesn't make sense to me. Maybe they didn't they care. Didn't, Maybe they're just like they didn't think to poke. Oh, oh, oh this will be fun. Out of sight, out of mind. This will be fun. Four hundred years. This is probably just like no, no, no. Don't, don't kill them. It's, Whatever happens, happens. It's like kicking the ice cube underneath the fridge. Eventually, all those suffocate? ice cubes will rot out your subfloor. How did, how did the dragons, <laughs> dragons not man. Su- dragons? They need oxygen to survive. <laughs> that, that alien meme. Anyway, Telvani. The world is flawed. Um, <laughs> You're flawed. <laughs> Your mom's flawed. I'm glad Kruer died. <laughs> anyway. Oh, tel- wow. From natural causes. Tel- <laughs> Telvani. Um, my biggest speculation was kind of like this dragon Ragnarok kind mm. of thing of like, you know. Someday this one dragon or whoever will be released, and then it will be Telvani, and then like this big moment of, 
you know, the dragons taking their turn to win back the world from the gods and in return the world that was all ash to what it was. Um, and seeing how that would turn out um, would be interesting. And so I, I, yeah, that was my biggest speculation was Telvanni was more or less a Ragnarok type thing. That, that was my thought too. Like, like a global purge kind of thing. I think I picture um, that Rain of Fire movie from oh, like the yeah. late 90s. I, I still um, haven't seen that whole thing. Movie. I've Man, seen the beginning of it and the end of it. And I, nothing in I have it on digital video disc and you can borrow Christian it. Christian Bale, right? Christian yeah. Bale. And, and Matthew, oh, Matthew McConaughey. Matthew McConaughey and uh, Gerard Butler's in it. Uh, yeah, he is. Um, so yeah, it, it's really good. They do the reenacting of like a Star Wars. So you picture show. that on Atos. Yeah, on Atos of like just everything's burnt, everything's jacked up, everybody's hiding in castles with tanks. Um, <laughs> Golem armor, baby. Yeah. So just seeing that like the dragon's goal is to return the world to ash, to undo the creation that the gods did. Um, they were the dom- they were they were they had dominion on the world. And yeah. They want it back. And then yeah. and then then they would find this time to return to their slumber. It's mostly like the gods' purpose was not to eliminate them, but, to create a but cycle, force a them. Cyclical self-cleansing thing. Yes, it's. I don't know. I could dig into that cycle of life and death for lots of various fictions. Um, again. It's like the Matrix. We're on the seventh auto, so we're just waiting for that one to come and save us all. <laughs> yeah. Um, I always thought it was the uh, the Mass Effect universe. Say what you will about the ending, but they do say. I like it. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> like every it every like fifty million years or something like that. It's it's it, I don't. With that big of scale. a cycle, who even cares that it's a <laughs> yeah, cycle? Right? Yeah, <laughs> but it's it's to maintain a balance between synthetic and organic life, yeah. and because eventually, like one would take over the other and be nonstop violence. So to resist the violence of this organic versus synthetic they just created uh giant living ships that doesn't were intended to wipe out all life in the solar the galaxy every so long um pretty great ridiculous <laughs> so anyway. but now you guys see why i started off this campaign with you cannot be dragonborn there are no dragons you don't know what dragons are dragons are not a thing and i think it was hard for you a couple times like somebody made a mistake of like oh it's, it's a like dragon. A, it's a dragon right and i'm like no you guys don't know what a dragon is like um, put it out of your mind yeah this does bring up my question of dragon deities and which you guys like, do know exist in my world yes so it's it's where do those come into play in the context of deities creating and they were obviously not on this gods yep. council that we saw however and so i'll throw this out there uh not every throne on the gods council was filled uh-huh. yeah there were a couple empty ones. ones there's one that we there's one we believed was for um the, the rule no the, that, that's not what i was thinking i was thinking for there was the one that was empty that yeah. there was also the one gem that was scratched out yeah there was and there was also the far line one well there was an empty like, gem slot and there was one that was scratched out yeah Mm-hmm. So maybe Bahamut was off doing something else. Talking about Telvani to some dude bro or something. <laughs> some dude bro. Let's do it. It's just some guy, you know? Yeah. Um, all right, let's wrap this up with one more thing that I think that is maybe something you guys wanted an answer to, but you forgot about it since it was a long campaign. The hole in the maze. Yeah. Um, that... Yeah, yeah. that um, is kind of it kind of has an important part. You guys, uh, Groundhog flew down and saw 
the world of Atos. Like ten more than ten hours later. Yeah, ten hours <laughs> later. <laughs> um, and so this kind of spurs spurred again the question: round or flat? Atos, what is it? Which our next campaign we did character creation night for tonight is figuring out an exploration campaign: round or flat? Um, but uh, I'm I'm assuming you guys probably are fig- trying to figure out what the heck that hole in the maze was. Because um, it was huge. Uh-huh. It, seemed, it seemed to be like a magical portal. Like it wasn't yeah. actually a hole. It wasn't actually a hole that went there. So much as it was a portal that went there. Yeah. So um, this hole is called the Banishing Well, and for gods who were on the good pantheon, um, who betray or um, any sort of betrayal, turning their throne down this well, um, and this well leads to in the middle of the ocean that's in the center of my world, um, there's another portal, quote-unquote, um, that's in a maelstrom in in the center of the ocean, and they basically fall until they go through that hole until the, they land in the abyss where the evil gods are banished to. So, so don't fly through the middle of the ocean. And what would have happened... Or sail through so the middle So if of the you ocean. had flown through that, you would have basically popped out in the plane of Ivana, because I know you're thinking it, and you wouldn't have... There would have been nothing... That, you would have looked up and seen sky. And I'm glad you didn't pick it, because if you didn't go through, because I would have not known what to do with you. I would have just point. been sitting there waiting for them to show up in Ivana yeah. or something. We had a long ways to go before that point go, still. So, um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, at that point we had, like, what, five gems or something? With many more mirror men. And we never would have gotten anywhere, because we didn't have our little bird. That's true, it would have been a lot more difficult to navigate, <laughs> too. We didn't have our loophole. Yeah. So, uh, Nerul, like, did not get thrown out. He was banished, but he did, just didn't come back after the whole stealing of the guiding light but one god that most people know that was banished was Loth and she was a daughter of Corellian um, that um, did some pretty evil things in the age of first wonders and is thrown down this well for a long time as crowd had found out and was banished that way so that's what that whole and I never expected you to fly down that thing so so hopefully you enjoyed our discussion about our story on our epilogue and our a discussion about uh, the theology of my world and deepness and all that kind of stuff. You'll have to get excited about this new campaign we're about to start up in the story times. We'll be uh, starting up for that for Rounder Flat Autos. That's not going to be the name of the campaign, but right now it is. So. <laughs> Thank you guys for joining us. Uh, everybody say goodbye to all the listeners. Goodbye. 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 So long. <laughs> Au And let's head to Diamnastics. Welcome back to DMnastics, the gym for dungeon masters to work out their minds. I'm Rich Howard. And I'm Special. DM... Oh, it's all right. And I'm DM Neil, a.k.a. Joke Maniac. <laughs> eh. Who invited you? I thought this was uh, my show. Well, you, t- you took over the gym. It's okay. <laughs> I took over the gym. No one has ever said that to me. <laughs> So for for this DMnastics, it was tied back to episode number 37, Return to the Depths. And as you can imagine, the guest for that episode was Rich Howard, who we have Some here. random dude. Just coming in, taking over the gym. I've said it That's twice right. so that he can coming feel better over, about taking it. Taking over the gym. Uh, and it's 
Tied back also to Diamnastics number 19, Nautical Nonsense. So for this one, I kind of did a setup where we were collaboratively, which it's kind of the vibe that collectively the people on the forum enjoy working together collaboratively more than some of the other ideas. So for this one, we wanted to create a big, bad, evil guy and specifically someone in a underwater setting because that's what the episode pertained to. Yeah, I don't get to participate in many of these DMnastics just because of how much time I have. And I jumped in on this one. I think somebody tagged me in. It's really cool, actually. So I highly recommend the listeners go check this one out. The whole community put together this really cool situation. And it's it's not just the end result. It's watching the thought process as things develop as well. It's a real good learning experience about not restricting yourself, like throwing out ideas, seeing what sticks, and then diving deeper into the ones that stick, you know? It's, it's just a great process. Yeah, I think I have to assume it was me. Maybe it wasn't me that tagged you. But if it wasn't, good on that other person. If it was, good on me. <laughs> and then the other thing I tossed out to kind of kickstart the idea process was to do it in the five to nine range in terms of CR, just because mm-hmm. that's, I feel like that's a good range. Any higher and potentially you're not, you're never going to get there with your party. Any lower, and I don't know that you have like all the tools to make your character as awesome is, or like fully flesh out the concept that you want to go with. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a great, great target range for that. So the big bad guy, I will try and pronounce this, and you can try and pronounce this as well, um, is per Ixital. Sure. Yeah. He's also known by the honorifics, the writer of the Plague Tide and King of the Rotting Depths. You did a really good job on that name, by the way. Hey, yes. I'm I'm not going to say it again just so you know. Isperixital. Isperixital. I can do it. Yeah, I got it. So the race was Marrow, but as you can guess from the honorifics, uh, Marrow with the undead template put on it. Speaking of which, I believe, Rich, you've put some... Oh, yeah. During part of the conversation, it kind of came up. When it, once it became a Marrow, there's only one or two Marrow types in the 5th edition Monster Manual. But uh, I put up a couple on uh, Tribality. So I did a series where I did enemies and encounters broken down into 1st and 5th. 6th through 10th, 11th through 15th, and 16th to 20th. And so one of the CR8 marrows that I did is called the Hand of Demogorgon because the marrows in 5th edition were merfolk that were pulled into the abyss by Demogorgon and twisted and mutated. And then a CR4 marrow called the Hunter Seeker, which is just supposed to be a terrifying shark-like you know, hunting version. So both of these can be used in these kind of six aquatic encounter seeds for 6th to 10th level characters. I talk about aquatic undead villains and then talk specifically about in 5th edition about, say, doing any kind of mid-level undead spellcaster. You can use that Archmage NPC that they have in there and add some a list of abilities I put up to kind of reflect that, you know, less than lich level undead villain. Yeah, which is kind of where this big bad evil went as we kept working yeah. on it. So the class was Warlock, the patron would probably be, I mean, Demogorgon, it, yep. but for us it was more generic because that's kind of the approach we take where it's just the patron demon who created the marrow and gave him the undead traits. The location, we called it the Rotting Depths and trying to see some other fun ideas. So layer actions, an interesting idea once you go underwater is to actually increase the pressure. So it causes what would be a fireball, but underwater due to the pressure increase. Right, like an area effect force damage mm-hmm. spell instead, which I think is a great idea. Or force or, you know, sonic thunder damage as well. That can work as well. So I know that 
Yeah, I can't remember everything that came up in the conversation, but I know that you had either linked to or brought up the concept of like how important the water moving constantly in the ocean is. And so for kind of a trait to help really give that sense of undead and that sense of unease for the big bad guy was that around him there would be no current at all. Yeah, exactly. So one of the things that's kind of key to when things rot, creatures die, waste products, they fall to the bottom of the ocean floor and stay there. So it's a, it's a rich source of organic nutrients there, but they stay there and the creatures sometimes that need to use those to eat are higher up, say coral reefs and things like that that are higher up. So when you have underwater currents, they, they push this material uh, along and then when they hit, say, like a, a wall, like a coral reef or whatnot, you have what's called an upwelling. And so all of this nutrients and material come up the wall and then you have like a feeding frenzy of filter feeders like manta rays and whatnot. So to have the idea that there's little to no current and this creature being an undead focused thing, it means that basically all of the things that are dying and should be recycled into the natural environment are under his control in the area that his lair is or what he's doing, which can starve out, you know, whole ecosystems which I think is a really interesting side effect to an, an undead creature that you don't really see on the surface. And that would be a super awesome way to be the adventure hook. I mean, I hadn't even thought of a right. way to do that, but I mean, hearing you say that, you know, that could be what brings the players in. That There's this mm-hmm. entire coral reef or just this entire beachfront that's dead. I mean, it used to be full of life and now it's dead and there's no right. reason, apparent reason why, then you can go investigate. And then you get to kind of mention these things that fall down there and instead of, getting essentially recycled back into the ecosystem. They're undead. And so a couple ideas for lackeys, minions, kind of things like that. We have the Lacedons, which are essentially aquatic ghouls, and they are yeah. terrifying because you're usually yeah. not in a great scenario when you face them. Some other ones were undead clams, which I think would be amazing <laughs> if you did undead clams with the swarm feature, and that would be awesome. I'm sorry. I I love that idea so much on so many levels and mostly because the whole visual just cracks me up. I love it. All these just cl- undead clams coming towards you. I don't know who came up with that idea, but you get extra points from me for that. It was awesome. Oh, yeah. That's about all I can think of. And then the, you also mentioned uh, razor kelp. Oh, yes. Which I, which I think is, really, is a really interesting idea, too. I mean, kelp is so key to to life in general. But again, the idea that we have undead creatures is one thing, but undead plants, that's a whole another thing that could be very interesting. And though there's not true plants underwater in that, that they have roots. So underwater plants like uh, algae and whatnot, they did and and kelp, they don't have a root system where they draw nutrients up through the roots. They get all their nutrients through the main part of their bodies. But that doesn't mean that they can't have this kind of an undead shambling mound you know, variant, uh, this razor kelp having this uh, kelp super sharp edges along the side could be really, it's just fascinating to me. I think it could be great. It's just a hazard. Um, you think you're hiding in kelp, you know, to protect yourself from what's going on around you, but it's actually causing damage you go through. I think it's a great idea. Yeah. I mean, it, there'd be enough there for it to constantly thrive because of the lack of current. And you could essentially have a kelp curtain. And you yeah. know, so the players start to go through that. But little do they know it's being controlled and then just get ripped up on the way in. Right. And then on the flip side, too, not just the no currents can be super creepy. 
just like when you hear no wind and no animals going through a forest, it can be really creepy. But if this thing, this this creature, this bad guy controls the currents, he can keep them low, but then he could also control where they are and how intense they are and just suddenly kick up a huge cloud of this supposedly nutritious debris <laughs> to cause blinding effects. If the razor kelp is long enough, tall enough, or, or in a large enough area, he can use those kind of current powers and abilities to cause it to start, you know, slashing around as well. So all, all kinds of interesting things that you can do for special effects. Yeah, I would implore the listeners to join up on the forums and join in on these challenges and exercises. Uh, I know that we're doing a lot more of the collaborative stuff because it's more been more enjoyable as a group. To do that, you just head over to dungeonmasterblock.freeforums.net. Try some gymnastics so your players don't ask, do you even lift? I got to get a pump. That's it. It's good. It hurts. I know it does. That's it. Get it. So that's all that we have for you today on the Dungeon Masters block. We hope that you have enjoyed this prolonged story time and the discussions about things that happen in my Riders of Shemesh campaign. Chris, you I don't even know what to call it. We had it as Adventures of uh, Adventures in Shemesh, but then you started the Riders, and I think people on the forums have just uh, started calling yeah. it the Riders of yeah. Shemesh campaign because e- even though like we most of the time the Riders weren't even around for the campaign like it just became such yeah. a big focus uh with the with the listener yeah. base so uh so well done <laughs> there Chris. yeah well crewer <laughs> was my favorite player or my favorite character to play yeah. of all time and it's sad to see him yeah. go but hey he started a whole island so i'm cool with that and you know you got to make way for those other characters or you may never have a new favorite i probably so. will never have a new favorite wow you really yeah. like crewer that's that's sad i'm kind of I'm shedding tears right now for. Well, I think Balfrin would have been one of my favorites, but he blew up really quickly. So. Oh yeah, <laughs> I'm Balfrin. I'm sure he would have been pretty cool. But... <laughs> he, I would be surprised if you said Balfrin was your. You only got to play him for like. I what, played like... one. I played one session and one partial session with him. Well, the first time he almost blew up because of our friend Mark from Washington's character. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he had a flamethrower <laughs> on his back and almost killed all three yeah, of my characters the first time I came back. back and played D and D in like two years. <laughs> And then he died by blowing up the next time that I played him. It was awesome. He was just a, a magnet for explosions, I guess. Yeah. Yep. So anyway, uh, Chris, if they want to write into us and uh, tell us about maybe some of the last nights that they played in their campaigns, maybe something in our discussion at the end, because I think we got pretty deep in this episode. So maybe something sparked something in their minds that they want to write into us about. Where can they write into us? Yeah, about? write us at uh, dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. Send us all of your uh theology of Shemesh stories or, or Avato <laughs> stories, whatever you think is really going on behind the scenes. Uh, and anything else that you've had about, you know, nights that you've done that are similar to this, uh, we would love to hear them. So send us an email. Uh, also, if you ha- if you would be so kind, head over to iTunes or whatever format you're using and leave us a five-star review uh, because that way we can, you know, people can figure out that we're actually legit and they can come and listen to us and, and glean some of the same knowledge that you have gleaned as a listener. And you can also find us on Stitcher as well. You can follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMS block. You can like our Facebook page. You can search for us on there. And with both of those places, we'll have 
Dungeon Master news and news about our show and tips and mostly memes. I'll be honest, mostly memes, <laughs> but memes are great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter, do both of those things. You guys are fantastic. We have a Patreon member shout out of the week, and this week's Patreon member shout out is. Martin, Martin Finley. Finley. Hey, thank you very much, Martin. Uh, this was like our eighth time trying to get yours right, so uh, we just want to say thank you for being an amazing gold dragon because without you, yes, we wouldn't you. be able to do what we do. Thank you so much, Martin. You're awesome. With that, that's all that we have for you today on the Dungeon Masters Block, the place where you come to listen to us talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all other people at the table. Have a, thank ha- you. Have yeah. a good night. Have a good night. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> and I will say, keep on Dungeon Master. <laughs> oh, gosh. Goodbye.